Go Loud presents the Lennon Courtney podcast. I'm Sonia Lennon. And I'm Brendan Courtney, and you're listening to the Lennon Courtney podcast. This week, it's the Thinking Woman's Guide to Homophobia. With the yes vote winning out in the 2015 marriage referendum, we hoped that blatant acts of homophobia might become less of a daily occurrence for the LGBTQ plus people living in Ireland. Sadly, that is not the case. In this episode, we look at the origins of homophobia and radical morality. This is the Thinking Woman's Guide to Homophobia. Well, it kind of seems almost redundant to ask this question, but why are we tackling homophobia today? It's interesting and talking to women about homophobia you can immediately switch a light on with half the population by saying we learn to live with a certain amount of inherent bias in our daily lives as gay men which women live with as like I was telling somebody about this episode yesterday and she said that's really interesting when I run I don't put, tie my hair in a ponytail so it can't be pulled and I thought wow that's, and she said, yeah, just do that. I said, when I get off a bus, if a woman's in front of me on a late night bus, I automatically always move in front of her across the road so she knows I'm not following her. So we all live, men and gay women, <laughs> gay men and women, live with this extra layer of safety risk yeah. that we now talk about. And yeah. that's where we're at now. And so the two murders of those two men, so tragically and brutally murdered, in Sligo and then Evan Summers whose name is now synonymous with homophobia and attacks which is just dreadful for a 23 year old really put it back on the table again post Ashling Murphy's murder so men uh, gay men and women are kind of go- looking at each other going hold on a second here oh. one <laughs> two three four you know what's the problem here and I think we have a lot in common so I wanted to draw that parallel but also Obviously, I'm a gay man in media. When the murders happened and when Evan was attacked, he was attacked very near to where I was attacked in mm-hmm. 2010. Um, his was much uh, more aggressive and he ended up in hospital. I didn't end up in hospital, um, just to say. And uh, I think and I think that'll scar him deeper, to be honest, because I think he was really set upon. I got punched and someone ran away. So I got over it quicker, I would imagine. Um, but it just put it back on the table that we're now going, hang on, this, this, this shit still happens, right? But there's also especially with Ashling's murder as well it's like what is this weird dark cell in our country in our midst where uh, this is the safest place to be a gay, a gay man in the world Ireland is now officially what is this weird bubbling under f- is it the far right is it I don't know what it is right what is it and I think I feel very connected talking to women anyway as a gay man in profile with a sort of a media profile I was called by every news every news channel to, to come and talk about it and I decided not to and I decided not to because I wanted to process and I wanted to do it with us in a safe zone. I wanted to process how deeply and horribly it affected me and gay, and the gay community. Uh, but also I didn't want to turn it into entertainment. I mean, I hope it doesn't feel like I'm doing that now. I think I feel very obliged to talk about it, but in our own way and at our own pace and to edit it in the way we want to give our message about it. But I also really wanted to do it with women mm. because I think we really have, we do share a, a, a dark cloud Mm. a fear about being attacked. I mean, I have to say, um, my blood ran cold when you said to me that you now have more fear walking down the street. Yeah. And, and you know, when somebody you love makes a statement like that, um, 
it's horrendous. And just to give, like, just to really explain how it feels, and, and women really relate to this because you live with it every day. You At night, you look down a laneway, we're not going down there. You won't go running in a park at night in dark. You know, you, you just equip yourself and it's almost inbuilt. So when you... Subconscious. Just, it's subconscious and it's appalling that your daughter will behave differently to your son in certain circumstances because of her safety, because she can be oppressed, she can be taken advantage of, she can be held down, basically, right? And the, the same applies to gay men. But what, so we went on the vigil on the Friday after the murders and I was afraid. I was at that vigil going, now this would be a perfect target now for some gobshite to come up here and either throw something or shout something, you know. And then we were walking back down and I made us go another way, away from crowds. And I was like, oh my God, am I doing this again? And then we were out in town and I'm like, I'm very, very streets, I'm very streetwise. I'm from Dublin. I lived in town for years. I can see trouble probably five minutes before anybody else. I can see it down the road and I'll cross smell away it. from it. I can smell it. And I like that about myself, but I also don't like being paranoid. But because of these murders and because of the attacks and because, you know, they called the spar at the end of Dame Street and George Street, they called that gay spar. And now that's the target. So don't go into gay spar after 10 o'clock at night because you will be targeted when you come out. Um, so that's just awful, isn't it? Awful, awful, awful. So I, I don't know what the solution is. I think talking about it helps. So... so I asked you in the run up to this and and it kind of seems like a crazy question even. Obviously, those murders and that attack have been so high profile and, and have really brought this to front of mind. Do you feel that um, in day to day, the, that home homophobia has risen. Can you can you feel it more than you used to? Like everybody else, I genuinely thought it was gone away. I thought it was gone away, and I'll tell you why. So I've been making television for twenty five years, and I said this to you after the marriage referendum. So when I would go into a, a I'd be filming so, anything, say off the rails, and I'd go into a, a man's bedroom. I always remember if you're filming something. I always remember. The, the crew would shuffle or or the man would shuffle. There'd be a, oh, there's a gay in the bedroom. You know, I remember little things like that. I think we found our T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> there's a gay, there's in, a gay the in the bedroom. bedroom. <laughs> or when I would be at the urinals, always in RTE. You remember this? Mm-hmm. When men would walk in and see me at the urinal, they would either go into the cubicle, ca- cubicle or leave. Always. Oh, horrendous. Mad. Uh, but funny, actually, even in, in it. I mean, and it st- stopped. That all that feeling stopped. I'd be in a bedroom filming for crowded house, mm. young men, and then we. I remember no. There's no first on here. They don't give a shit that I'm gay. Mm. This is irrelevant for them, and I noticed it particularly with younger people. They just didn't think about it, and I was like, "Wow, that's gone." And the word "gay" stopped appearing in front of my name, like it lifted. So I'm just Brendan now, where I was gay Brendan for many many years, right? And I felt like everybody else. It's gone. That, that's gone. This is a safe country. And I, I've travelled where we've been in countries where it's not so safe. And you go, Ooh, it still exists here. You can smell it. I can smell it here. So I thought it was gone. OK, so that that's I'm going to I'm going to hold you there for a second. And I'm going to go back to um, a New York Times article that was written in 1988, which is in the New York Times archives. And it was kind of fascinating. And it was talking a lot about a lot of um, sociological research that had been done into and this was around the time of a rise in homophobia in New York due wow. to the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Um, and they did a huge amount of research 
in that um, sentiment of, of home, homophobia at the time. Like, absolutely horrendous in that, you know, teenagers acknowledged that racial prejudice, even if they held racial prejudice, they recognised that it wasn't appropriate, but that there was a kind of a, a, a social reward to stating your homophobia. Yeah. Um, and it was deemed to be acceptable to be homophobic. And, you know, talking about the roots of homophobia and you mentioned religious zealotry, it's it's very much based in um, a conversation around morality and mm. accepted morality, which is based in religion mm. and organised religion as opposed to spirituality. Um, and, and this guy, Dr. Herrick, um, who is a gay academic and, and took classes, was kind of interested in in being openly gay. And and even at that point in 1988, um, it, it was only in 1980 that homophobia was removed from the DSM manuals that we talked about, the the um, mental health journal as as a mental health issue. Homophobia. Was oh, no, sorry. Uh, uh, homosexual. Homosexuality right. was listed as a, a mental disorder <laughs> up to 1980 in the DSM. I do know a few crazy kids. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of interesting. And, you know, 1980 sounds like a long time ago and not a long time ago, all at the same time. And sticking with America, uh, unbelievably, Sally Rooney's Normal People has been taken off the education register in Florida as part of this move to increase moral stature. Horrendous. So it's not just the gays they're coming for. It's even it's young people. <laughs> it's so it's ever, radical morality. Radical morality. Spot on in Florida. Cut it off. Horrendous. Sally Rooney's normal people has been banned. And actually, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Sally Rooney's normal people it, it should be prescribed viewing for every teenager Te- in terms of best practice for <laughs> sexual respect and consent and all of that stuff, you know. But the other the other piece, and this is not going to come as a shocker to anybody, this, the, the sort of fundamental root of homophobia tends to be manifested either through religious zealotry, moral fundamentalism, or um, a, a lack of confidence in your own sexuality yeah. um, and and Freud way back when like him I love him uh, said that we're all born bisexual and that we suppress most of us suppress that sort of um, the magnitude of our sexuality to conform to social mores um, and it is that repression that can lead to a hatred of people who have the freedom to express their sexuality yeah that's it that's in a nutshell episode over. <laughs> uh, that's it. I, I've always felt that anybody who's a real problem with my sexuality has a problem with their own sexuality. And and I've always been sort of reinforcing that thought when I've met really, really, really hetero men who don't give a damn about my homosexuality because they are fueled by pure their own confidence in their own sexuality. Self-assuredness in their own sexuality. They don't Think about my sexuality, you know, and I've met that's people on the other end of the spectrum. Um, speaking of the other end of the spectrum, I fancy a cup of tea. Let's take a break. And we're back on the spectrum. <laughs> um, yeah, so someone who's really self assured in their own sexuality is very confident and comfortable around other people. It's only 
particularly men who are uncomfortable. I'm, do you know what I'm always really shocked at? Women who are homophobic. I, I find that really jarring as so well. So do I. I've, I've, I'm like, why do you care? <laughs> yeah. you know, what's, what's it to you? What's it to you? And it comes back to normally morals. So um, there's a great documentary. Uh, I It's on, where did I see? I think it was a Channel 4 documentary. So if you can get access to more for Channel 4 on player. Um, and it was about women in Poland who entrap gay men and then bring them to groups of men to beat them up. It's happened a lot in Russia and in Poland, where they use Grinder or other dating apps. Not only Grinder, we should know there's lots of dating apps, but they the one that most commonly comes the honey to mind. Pot. The honeypot. They suck them in and then torture them and beat them. And it's on and it's women who do it. So it's just mad, isn't it? It's just beggar's belief. But what really concerns me is this rollback of rights for women. It's terrifying. And I mean, I... Uh, it's like Handmaid's Tale in oh, real life. It's insane. Awful. Isn't it? Yeah. And bit by bit incrementally then you just... I don't know. See, I think what I think is this is a kind of a, probably naive but I think younger people have more to lose than, than we do now. We've done our living. You know, we're in a settled position. We're not going to be fighting to have... I'm not going to fight to have children now. I'm not going to fight for the right to marry. If that gets rolled back, younger people will be the people who will suffer. And that's the real tragedy. So when I, I went... Uh, I was That's re- why I was asking re- that question. really honoured to be invited to um, the EU, EU Parliament by the Femme Committee um, to sit in on one of their sessions. And the name of the session was The Erosion of Women's Rights in Europe. Wow. And it was... For real, for real. And there was a Polish woman who was Pro-life. moral, fundamentalist. Uh, yeah, yes. An yes. MEP? Uh, she, I don't know what her actual title was, but she was a speaker. Um, uh, she, no, she wasn't a speaker. She was in the session. Um, she wasn't one of the official speakers, but she got up to ask a question um, from the moral right. And it was just extraordinary um, to think that that sort of religiosity can, yeah. can can particularly with uh, with pro-life and abortion rights right um, my favourite man in the world John Ronson um, has done Hi John he has done a series as I told you about called It All Fell Apart and there's a it's all about the origin of culture wars right mm. and there's a whole episode about the origin of pro-life and uh, pro-abort you know where it came from and it comes from a filmmaker who was trying to make his name uh, and literally, the, because it's a construct, it's a complete construct. Mm-hmm. So in the sixties and seventies in America, fundamental Christians didn't have a problem with abortion. Nobody had a problem with abortion. This filmmaker, they literally didn't have a problem. Everybody had the right to like. And this filmmaker made a thing out of it, and everybody in the front, oh, what's this? And he tracks right back to the point in this movie where pro life began in the sixties, yeah. and it's absolutely mind blowing. It's a construct. Isn't that amazing? It is, and I'm thinking about I'm, I'm but you know. It, assimilating what you were talking about the younger people and I'm thinking about uh, your kids my My kids kids, right and the environment of um, sexuality that their classes are in um, and and how how fluid their understanding of sexuality is now and so you know I'm always banging on about categorisation and classification but if 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 the acceptable norms of our society change to the extent that sexuality is no longer binary. You're this or you're that. And it becomes a much more melded, fluid kind of... Which it feels like it is becoming. It feels like it is becoming. Then that makes it more difficult to catch in a way. Um, In the way that, you know, eventually 
as we all you know co-create through the races everybody will become this beautiful caramel colour you know what I mean it'll all just kind of become one um, and so the the enemy to that then is this kind of fundamentalism that can get in the way of it although you know you kind of just wonder why the gays and the women don't just get together and just take, take over. over. Yeah. I have to say as well, two two things I want to mention. First of all, yesterday I did a pilot for two 16-year-olds who are non-binary um, called Jesse and Tara and they're 16 and they're non-binary and they've done, they're doing a podcast called Gender Euphoria and and they I got such an education from them. They, they said, I said, tell me about pronouns. Why is that important? Completely clear that up for me. Good. I said, how do you ask? And they said, you just say, what do you go by? So in school, they don't even say what's your pronouns because in case people don't like that word, some people don't like, they say, oh, what's your name, Sonia? What do you go by? It's not just, I said, call the podcast. What do you go by? And they were like, because it's that. I was like, oh, thank you for that. And I, I heard something on the radio yesterday about in a weird way, there's an education up about sexuality from these kids Absolutely. who are just so chilled about it. They're like, what's yeah. the big fuss? They talk yeah. in such an open way about yeah. it. Which is, you know, hats off to their parents as well, let's be honest. That's yeah. where they got it from. Yeah. So there's this real education up which I'm fascinated by and, and really thrilled by. And I was just in awe of the two of them. And I think that has been spawned by an openness yeah. to discuss sexuality. Yeah. That, you know, so there in 2020, uh, the EU Agency for Fundamental Rights surveyed LGBTQ plus uh, I people and they found that in Ireland, 59% often avoid often or always holding hands with their same sex partner in Ireland. And for the EU, it's 61%. Mm-hmm. So I would never hold Adam's hand in public. Dave wouldn't hold mine either. <laughs> I don't, I'm not mad about PDAs anyway. Yeah. I find that I might as well get a room, you know. But then when I was younger, you, you're all about the PDAs, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, so it's different when you get older. You're just like, whatever. But I, I, I wouldn't because, imagine this is how I see that. I think that is looking for attention. That's, that's a little inner narrative going on yeah. there, isn't it? Yeah. And that's terrible, isn't it? Of course not. Look, you want to hold your partner's hand. You should be able to hold your partner's hand. But I, when I see two young guys holding hands, I'm like, you go, girl. I'm like right on. And, uh, yeah, because yeah. I was in town on Saturday and I was sitting down having a little coffee by myself and watching people go by. And there's so these yeah this young gay couple and I was like that is cute. They're just so gorgeous, relaxed. It's, yeah, relaxed and like that. It's still looks like of, a statement though. Kissing. I like seeing people holding yeah. hands. I have to say, which makes me sound like a hallmark <laughs> greeting card. But <laughs> she wishes Dave would hold her. <laughs> so he does sometimes when I grab him really hard. <laughs> <laughs> You're hurting me. Smile. You love me. You yeah, see, Adam is Polish and PDA is like, oh God, send them flipping backwards. You know, Poland is pretty homophobic still. It's like Ireland in the in the 80s. Mm. Um, so it, I, I actually find... Is he, that part of the reason he's here then? Oh, I think it's the full reason he's here. And me, of course. <laughs> I would say he's from a very small village. His family are very religious. I'm not speaking out of turn. They're very nice people. He's got a very good relationship with them. But that's just not really discussed. That's, I mean, that's his journey, you know. And that's the one thing I was quite militant about people being out when I was younger. Other celebrities who are, you know, out and you, we, I'm not going to name anybody because they're not out. But, you know, but like I found it frustrating that they were earning a living from being in the public eye, but they weren't. P- owning. Owning or, or, or inspiring even, you know, to be, look, I can be in the public eye and, and, and be out. And I found that a little line. But then as you get older, you realise it's not your journey someone else's journey and who knows what's going on in other people's lives. 100%. You know, so you have to respect people's decisions to be closets. But I do respect it. <laughs> so I was just tripped up on their run there and I shouted, closets! <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. I wanted there's something else popped into my head there was two sides of the coin. One was about the the young uh, non-binary kids who were fascinating. Um what was the other thing you said that spark I was something in my head. anyway it'll come I'll come back to it. It'll come back to me. And what about the lesbian community? Do you think that they are as targeted as the gay community? Do you want to hear my lesbian joke? Go on then. <gasps> what does a lesbian bring on a second date? You hope everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, are they as targeted? Yeah, I mean, if they if they stand out, if they appear, um, if they appear gay, you know, if they dress in a way that people think you're gay, you know. Like. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I want to stick on this for a minute mm-hmm. because I think I think that gay men are probably more targeted. So I wonder, I wonder what you don't the sta- hear, hear many, I w- yeah, yeah, no, you don't. And I wonder what I wonder what the stats are around uh, the gender of attackers of gay men. Right. My gut is saying it's, men. it's men, it's yeah, straight men it is, yeah. who attack gay, gay men. men. Yeah. And therefore, a gay woman is no threat to a straight man. There you go. So she's an anomaly. Well, whatever. Yeah. She, it doesn't matter. It doesn't impact his sense of his manhood. Well, also, if he's one of those kind of men, he probably would pride himself in not beating up women. <laughs> you know, or well, probably. Yeah, or, yeah. Or just kind of, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it'd be interesting to to look at the stats around that, wouldn't yeah. it? I always get the impression in gay bars, there's like 80% gay men and 20% gay women. There never seems to be now, and then in London, my friend Kim owned a, a women's a gay women's bar called Candy Bar. It's gone now. And lots of gay women. Went. It was like legendary. It was really cute, and it was it was really fun to be there because. And here's my little tip: if you're ever in a gay woman's bar, and they've karaoke, do Brown Eyed Girl. They love us. <laughs> I had them eat in the palm of my hand. You, my brown eyed girl. <laughs> They went mad for it. Like, Anthemic. Mad for it, they were. It was just your performance. It, was it wasn't, it was the song. Was, God bless you, Van Morrison. Lesbians love brown-eyed girls. <laughs> but uh, um, that's my little tip for ever in a, a gay woman's bar. But there's only one, there was only one gay woman's bar in London. Now there's gay women's night pop up here and there. Mm. But imagine there's no, and Wayne used to have a gay woman's night in Crash. But it was it was small. It was very mm. poorly attended. Um, mm. And there's as many gay women as there are gay men. I just don't think that they're as they, uh, different lifestyles. I think they're slightly different. I, uh, that's a massive statement, of yeah. course. But I think they're slightly different lifestyles. I would imagine, yeah. yeah. And that w- women are probably, you know, I don't know actually. But there's definitely and my my just for my two aunts are gay women. Mm. My mum's two sisters, and they're amazing women. They both are partners and but one was married and um, they have this very full uh, gay women's lives like they really do um, and they but they're more dinner party kind of people yeah. you know I've dragged them out to clubs a couple of times but they'd be more and Colette my aunt was with me in, in the George when the marriage referendum was announced um, which was great but uh, yeah they'd be <laughs> they'd be more wholesome than me <laughs> you know what I mean they they would cook and they would entertain people you've gone pretty wholesome in your later have, days you I? have you've gone a bit yeah uh, I mean last night I met Rory for dinner and I wanted to meet him at half six and he was like alright grandma I was like because I like to be in bed at ten it's very important to me <laughs> Covid has a lot to answer for <laughs> yeah. really doesn't it well you know I like to get my calories in before eight 
very good. I literally am now a gay woman, basically. <laughs> <laughs> good to know. Good so, to know. Actually, so we started off very dramatic, very tragic, uh, very dour, and now we're giggling again. But what I really wanted from this episode is for our lovely listeners to have a few tips about how to deal with homophobia around you. And I don't know the answers, by the way. I'm working this out as I'm talking. Mm. So say, for example, you have an 18-year-old son and he says something homophobic, right? Now, what I'm understanding from the non-binary community is you have to adopt a zero-tolerance policy. Am I right? Yeah, I'm a parent. I, I, I think... Am I wrong? Am I right? I think from a parental point of view, if something is said that doesn't match your value set, you have to say it. Right. And what do you do? Do you just say, sit them down and say, listen, you can't be saying that shit? Or where do you get that from? I think uh, light and live is the way to do it. So it's not a sit down. It's as it happens. It's light and live. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like that. That doesn't sound good to me. It doesn't sound right. Now, there is an element where there part of your role as a teenager is to be provocative to your uh, parent, yeah. to your parent and, and things are said, which I know aren't truly believed but might just be a little hand grenade over the bow yeah. and that's okay too but yeah. you're still acknowledging it over the mezzanine over the me- <laughs> there you go the mez is mine the Mediterranean <laughs> jealous some Esther somebody needs to somebody needs to keep off Instagram <laughs> I'm a sign of stalker <laughs> so that's a good light and live so um, but you know be careful in gay spar doing light and live to drunk people yeah you know don't address it on your own definitely not yeah um Pick up your hoop and run. Yeah. That's what I'd say. You got it. Yeah, keep away from trouble. But yeah, I want to dive into this in the long term and find out where this growth is coming from, this cancer. I, I think it's I think it is general disenfranchisement. I think it's not too different to what got Trump elected. Yeah. People are miserable yeah miserable and they don't like the status quo and they want change and so the system hasn't worked for and them and the system hasn't worked for them like, why have they whoever they yeah. are got and they that, is anybody I'd, who yeah, is not them I don't have it mm. and you know you're telling me I'm and religion, I, I, so are you saying you know. and and throw on top of that covid mm. take away livelihoods take away any vague form of stability add on uh addiction add on and then you start to social blame media the yeah. mainstream media you blame yeah. you blame all of them whoever they are yeah and anybody in perceived that's why i feel unsafe on the street because mm. because of we're, what our jobs fashion and television i mean talk about up our own holes you know mm. so people think you're up your own hole right and sorry for being graphic but that's what they think and they often say good you're so nice they're always surprised that i'm nice and normal um, because we live in a village. It's not like being famous or well-known in America or England where you have to protect yourself. It's we live in a village. So you're not protected. That's the other side of it. Mm. And I think you become a target then for that hate. Mm. And I think I just have to be confident. I never thought I was, but I'm now more cautious that I might be a target. And, t- and this is a terrible thing to say, but that fear in itself... Can attract it. Can attract it. Yeah. So I don't try... I try not to live with it. And I don't generally live with it. I am quite savvy. And, uh, but here's the real shocker. I am definitely moving out of the city. And this has sealed the deal for me. Isn't that unbelievable? I'm going to move where I live because of what the recent attacks happened. And I just don't want to be in a busy city where it's messy at night. Not for me. I'm happy about that too, though. Going to be near the sea. Good. 
The Lennon Courtney podcast is an Exceed Potential production. Episodes are produced by EOMD Productions and social media is managed by Judy Gartland. Follow at Lennon Courtney on all social media platforms for the latest news and updates. New episodes are released every Thursday. Rah!